0: Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware.
1: Hi, it's Martin Ware here, Electronically Yours, as always. Uh, Today's guest was once called the Baron of Techno by none other than John Peel. His name is Dave Clark. He's an artist and a DJ. He's very well established, but never establishment, as it says, on a quote on his uh, biog. He's a very interesting guy. Um, he started out doing DJing from a position of passion and uh, was born in Brighton. He now lives in Amsterdam. He's a very interesting guy who um, is a good solid sort as well. And clearly is very successful as an international DJ. Uh, so here he is Dave Clark.
2: Things are pretty good. Uh, I think for the first time in, I don't know, 10 or 12 years of building up a studio again, I actually completed it and it's finished. Um, And that means the the final touch, well, actually another final touch came as a gift to me, but the final touch was uh, the proverbial uh, Matmos lava lamp. And (laughs) when when you have the Matmos lava lamp, in your studio then you know that you are complete that's and, it. and i've even drawn up precautions and actually managed to find the 28 watt halogen bulbs which are technically illegal over here now because obviously everything's led obviously the way the lava lamp works is all about heat convection so oh, all right and that's why it's 28 watts it's not 30 watts or 20 watts it's the design of it right. and i managed to actually get another Six or eight light bulbs for that, so I should be good for the next ten years because I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have brownouts here. So yeah, so that's, that's good.
1: Yeah, good. And what 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 does your studio consist of? I mean, I have to go and say exactly. Are we? Are we on the
2: record now? Or is this this part? Of yeah, the we're recording. Or? Okay. Um. So yeah. Um. So my studio is probably completely the opposite to yours. I mean, your studio to me looks like a Swither nightmare uh, of keyboards gathering dust. Um, I've only got two keyboards. I've only got two keyboards. Oh, okay. But lots of deburring jacks and GPO things probably necessary as well. Yeah. Um, And I, well, I I learned playing piano when I was a kid and it was a little bit traumatic for a variety of reasons. Firstly, they had this trend as a child that if your hands were small, they would put like champagne corks in between the fingers. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had that for a little while. I never had the champagne though. So it was like a double bugger. Um, (laughs) But I was a kid. And then I actually found it strangely and bizarrely too emotional to continue with. And the piece of music that, sort of drove me over the edge, which then sort of sort of became some sort of storytelling template for part of my life it was actually, you might remember it because you're a similar age to me, I think. Um, and uh, that was the summer of 42. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. And every time I played theme tune, not like Dennis Waterman, but every time I played the theme tune, it would break me down in tears. Not because my playing was that bad, it wasn't that good, but because I was reading the music and the piece of music somehow did something to me. So I really couldn't continue playing the piano um, and I didn't want to. And then my father then got um, some sort of organ uh, with record inputs and outputs and he had a lot of technical equipment. And so I ended up using, like, the JVC portable tape recorder that he had to record bits and overdubbing, which, you know, as a youngster, was quite exciting. Uh, and then I realized that I can't play keyboards for shit, and I don't really want to. Although I'm sad I can't now, of course. As you get older, you can dump yeah. a lot of that stuff. Um, so my stu- going back to your original question, my studio is much more a technical studio where it features, like, obviously, uh, uh, a supercomputer but also a lot of outboard stuff, but from an engineering perspective and not from a pre- – I mean, I, I consider engineering to be creative anyway, of but, cool. you know, it's not keyboard. It's not keyboard, so it's like compressors and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and so that, that's how my studio is based. It's like a sort of Star Trek, everything operatable by myself in one position.
1: Nice. Is it big?
2: It's not big. Um I have I, I, I mix in the box and then ship it out to the box to I think about twenty two various analog compressors and then that goes yeah. back into the box through uh various summing mixers, um, through another compressor, through some EQ and stuff like that. And it basically all fits around me and right. the speakers. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have clients in my studio. Um so I don't need to have listening positions and um all that uh, acoustic treatment because actually i'm in the sweet spot all the time right. uh, and i don't i don't have like a standing wave issue because none of the walls are regular i'm on a floating floor um so yeah it's it's it's, it's i mean i feel at home there very much at home there i just I'm, I'm a little bit sad to be back on the road because i think that's sort of given me a little bit of sort of like not a down feeling but a little bit of like mm, i should be in the studio more but since touring started again i haven't being properly in the studio for about 3 months and that- oh, do you miss it then you yeah, miss
1: I do it. I think to me my my studio is like my safe space i felt that like during very much in during uh, covid it was like you know i have often jokingly it's not very funny but i can jokingly say to to um to people if there was some kind of nuclear war going on outside, provided it wasn't a direct hit, I probably wouldn't know. There's no windows in here, there's no clocks. I just go into the zone and I'm working and and that makes me very happy. Uh, Whether I'm on my own or working with other people, it didn't really matter to me. I I just love being creative. And um, that's what makes me happy.
2: Yeah, and you know, I mean, you've interviewed obviously John Fox. I've also interviewed John and worked with him. And one of the things that was interesting, like the brutal honesty of the fact that he said he didn't want to be a touring musician, mm. which I thought was really fascinating because, you know, a lot of people just want to be out there, get the adoration and, and of course the money now, because obviously record sales are not the thing that they used to be. And I, I was really sort of, I really admired that about John, that he could be so clear early on in his career. And then last night, I just happened to be watching about the Rolling Stones with Charlie Watts and how... When he was on tour, he would make everything sort of like his own environment, and that he didn't even want people to come into the hotel and change things and touch his stuff. So, <laughs> so I sort of understand some of these things, and, and it's, you know, and I understand what you're saying. I mean, obviously for Sheffield, like. You mentioned nuclear attack, and the first thing that comes to my mind is threads. Yes, and someone yes. And, and someone pissing themselves outside Woolworths, which you know we all did at some point, obviously. But um, <laughs> uh, but, but, but with Sheffield, it's like you think of threads, and you think, okay, yeah. So good for you, you won't see that nuclear attack over the mountain in the Manchester area, or wherever it was. Uh, you'll just be doing your your, your noodling. Exactly.
1: Um, I'm 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 actually in in King's Cross, so. You know, oh, okay. Bring on the nuclear attack in London, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course. Um, <laughs> I, um, if funnily enough, with early Hem seventeen, and uh, we decided right from the outset not to tour, and not to put not not to put ourselves through that. You know, uh, two yearly cycle of uh, of you know you spend three months doing an album and then another the remaining part of the two years promoting it and I just didn't we none of us wanted to go through that. We did a lot of touring with the Early Human League. But, um and and it's only really in the mid-90s when Erasure said, Do you want to support us on your on our arena tour? And we said, Well we never had we never done it. And so we did. And now we've been doing it for 20
2: odd years and it's like so yeah. do you think you made a wrong decision before by not touring at that moment?
1: um financially yeah, yeah we were offered like a million Dollars to to do about five dates in California, wow. right about that time because we were kind of hot, hot stuff for about two weeks, and
2: a bit longer. I'd say a good bit longer there.
1: Uh, no, I meant in America. In in America, I All mean, right. you know, when you're hot, hot, yeah, yeah, you know, ah. <laughs> you're hot in LA, and um, and uh, I think it was Coors Beer wanted to uh wanted to sponsor it, and um, we just didn't want to get into that shit basically but now we love it of course so i think you make decisions for the right reasons at the time the other thing was when we signed with the early human league we were so naive we didn't know that we were getting ourselves into a lot of unrecouped debt yeah because in those days you had to buy yourselves onto the onto various tours and we did two tours with susan the banshees one with iggy pop one with peru boo and you know and I, what we didn't fully understand is that the record company were paying a fortune to make this happen. And it was going on our fucking bill. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we didn't recoup fully uh, on the record side until kind of the early two thousands. Wow. Yeah. And it uh, happens for a lot of artists though. Right. So, um, yeah, because I mean,
2: for DJs um, it's, it's different of course, because we are well in the glory days, relatively self-sufficient and, Hopefully, talented in the glory days, um, and you know it was different. I did go live um, on tour, playing my own music, which actually, so I was I was pushed to do that sort of against my comfort zone um, when tri- uh, Crawford were playing Tribal Gathering in Luton. Right and i played live and i have to be honest that i was so scared to do it because i was out, i was completely outside my comfort zone of course Bowie always says that an artist has to be outside their comfort zone to do something special but you know when you've had years of of actually djing and you know what you're doing in that environment and you you know i can't play keyboards i can play samplers and i can do stuff yeah, yeah. so i had to I had to make my own environment to work and when i played my own music myself and then the crowd, I, I felt something I hadn't felt. It's, it's one thing playing your own music on, on vinyl as a DJ, and of course the crowd love it, and that's more of a sort of a cultural momentum, if you're lucky with the vinyl that's going on in those days because people will collect it. But when you actually physically play your own music through a keyboard and samplers, and then the crowd come alive, it's, it, it, it really takes your breath away. And mm. I did it a few times, uh, and I did enjoy it, but it was also very, very scary. And also th- there's a lot more cost involved than just being a DJ. Yeah. Uh, you have to pay per diems for people. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, carnés. Of course, you'll have to do carnés now coming over to, to Europe, but there's carnés that we had to do when we were going to, like, Brazil, and then the equipment just arriving, like, a, a, an hour oh, before. No.
1: Oh, no, I know.
2: And you've got 25,000 people in front of you, and you're thinking, shit, is this going to happen? And then it does, because your team is really dedicated and they make it happen. They bring it all together and it happens. Um, so but, was
1: that under your name was, or yeah. did, was that a band identity?
2: That was under my, my name. But, you know, I was like, sometimes I was playing under my own name in, in locations like uh, Barcelona train station, <laughs> um, which was quite an amazing thing. I still don't know. I still don't even know how that happened. Uh, and i would be playing, obviously, live at Maida Vale for John Peel. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, and then I'd also be playing live at a festival with lots of other artists, like uh, in, in Brazil for twenty five thousand people. Um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes it was in my own name, and sometimes it was, you know, and you, you, your own shows are always really scary because you don't know if it's going to sell out of people.
1: Yeah, of always. course, um, I, I can like testify you're... to that definitely. And um, what? All what, right, I've got a couple of questions for you. One is, I've
2: got one for you. Can I jump in? Yeah, go on. It's, it's, it's been, I know it might t- take you off a train of thought, but it's been bugging me for ages. Why BEF? Why British Electronic Foundation named after the really, really bad thing that happened in Dunkirk with the British Electro... Uh, I didn't know issues? about that.
1: Didn't know oh, about okay. that at the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it's only later on when I started looking, I went, oh, well, you know. Okay. No, it wasn't named after that. It was just. Okay. It <laughs> was funnily enough on the continent uh when we launched British Related Foundation, they went, they called it le beef. <laughs> Just thought it was quite good. I quite like beef. um Yeah. Anyway. So, yes. Yeah, so my train of thought has been disturbed. So I was trying to remember what I was going to say is, do you regard your, this is always fascinating to me about top DJs. Because I do some DJing, and you know I enjoy doing it, and I'm nowhere near your level, or or, you know I've interviewed, you know, obviously Fatboy Slim and people like that. Um, Do you regard yourself? Do you regard the the skill set that you've acquired over the years of doing reading the audience and 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 creating an on the fly playlist? Do you regard that as developing your your empathetic nature?
2: Um, okay. I, I mean,
1: do you feel me? the audience As I mean, obviously, to a certain extent, you, you must, but uh, when, when I'm, you, I'm just fascinated with this.
2: When you first start off, so when I first started off in small clubs and stuff, you had to learn to read the crowd because otherwise you're out of a job. It's really that simple. And when I first started, I was playing everything, you know, like the, the B-side of Crushed by the Walls of Industry, uh, like the really heavy, heavy industrial noises and mixing that into like Depeche Mode, of course, because that sort of made sense. Uh, so you'd be you become quite good at segueing, as John Peel would call yeah. it, certain types of records and then segueing into a different genre. Because in those days, you would have played different genres. So I was playing, and I it wasn't through pain. I really enjoyed it. So I was playing hip hop. Yeah. I was playing soul music and really enjoying the soul music. I was playing like a Will Downing record or a Misha Paris record. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, Soul to Soul. Uh, and then some of the American sugary soul that was coming through mixed into older disco records that I'd inherited from my family. Um, you know, things like Idris Muhammad could have, never be like this or Roy Ayers um, yeah, yeah. or Lonnie Listen smith Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or other things I can't remember right now. Cooler stuff, and of course, some not cool stuff, like things maybe like the whispers and the beat goes on, but you learn how to put this together in a way of teasing the crowd, keeping them on site, and keeping them malleable to what you're going to do next. And the, that gives you a skill set. Um, but then, as you head later on into your own development as a DJ, with uh, you know, then obviously I was playing electro, but then obviously head much more into house music. and 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 techno you then at least for me i then become in a position where i'm not playing to the crowd i'm playing for myself right 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 there's 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 no empathy that i feel that i am entertaining the crowd giving them what they want i'm doing it specifically for my own enjoyment and i'm hoping at that particular time that the crowd are there to ride on the back of that yeah and that and that's what happened because I, I, you know there are djs that play to the crowd um and eventually it sort of becomes a bit of a cliche and doesn't really go any further and some people have become incredibly successful with that and technical skills are not really there because some of it's already made for them really yeah,
1: of course, of course. Uh, yeah.
2: including you know now with the dj software you can even have pyrotechnics linked in electronically oh great look. Just certain things that are happening so it's almost like play it's almost like some of the artists playing with the tape in the background um so so when i dj yes it's on the fly of course you have certain things like i will normally have a certain selection of tracks that change a little bit for a month or two or three months that i start off with because i know the frequency response and what they give me because i never sound check and what it gives back to me So i know that oh, there's a floppy bass, I need to tighten up a little bit, and that's how I know that. But no, I mean, when it comes to DJing um, now, for me, it's not about empathy, it really is about enjoying and getting everyone to relate to that and to learn from that, because as someone that spends an awful lot of time listening to new music, I get like 300 every every few weeks, uh i needle drop but i listen to everything it's my job as a selector to go i think this is within yeah. my character to play this because i relate to it and then people then you have your own sound and i think that's really important
1: yeah let's talk about your radio show which is yeah. has been prodigiously <laughs> successful by the sound of it um how many episodes <laughs> now
2: i have two radio shows um so i have white noise which was running on off the back from a radio show called Technology that I used to do in Brighton, one of the first web shows uh, that was also broadcast on, on various different FM uh, radio shows, like four at the time in, in, in the mid to late 90s, but also on, on, on the internet. And then mm-hmm. I signed my second album to Skin and I had to stop. I had no space with touring radio show and making an album and actually go through a divorce as well at the same time Jeez. so something had to, something had to give uh so that was actually the radio show and it was the right decision but radio has always been really important to me so my radio career started off with festival radio in brighton well I actually it started off in my bedroom uh recording adverts on cassette playing records and overdubbing <laughs> them uh, and pretending i was i was a radio station uh sorry you've just you've just gone off uh visual for a second uh, let me see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, so that that so I started very early in my imagination with with John Fox, how Metamatic and Devo and stuff like that, and then Festival Radio, which was about Brighton Festival, gave me a chance to do a radio show, and I was like fully into that and I loved it. And then I realised that actually radio is vitally important to me, and really it's a way of like presenting the artists that you respect, even if it's one record or 10 records of the same artist, it's something that you respect and it's almost like a job because I feel many artists pull the ladder up after they've climbed it. And I feel yeah. this is definitely giving back to the community, encouraging younger artists to, 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 you know, and the Twitter response that I get still prove that they, they get a good feeling from that. And they do get paid as well, by the way, because obviously it's on national radio in different countries. So there's a needle time. They, they actually do get paid for that. Um, so, so I stopped and then I started up White Noise. Uh, I was asked by VPRO in the Netherlands to start up um, uh, a radio show for them. And I did this. And I then found out that John Peel had also recorded a radio show from them. And we managed to uh, bake off a few uh, reel-to-reels of his shows when I actually did like a celebratory thing after he sadly passed. And found out that he was still on top of it, even for VPRO. He was playing this weird electro-hip-hop shit and just like, just fucking on top of it. The one where I started, um, and I'm now, I think, in episode 868 or something like that.
0: Um, and
2: I've done live broadcasts uh, at Sonar and other places as well in the past. And uh, I, I gave up working for VPRO because it just wasn't working for me, although I'm eternally grateful for them doing it. And I learned a lot from a guy called Gerard Waldorf, who was like the guy that wanted me to do it. And his musical knowledge was really, really good. And I enjoyed being in an environment where he says, have you heard of wall I was like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: and then
2: you learn about loads of different things. I'm always wanting to learn. And yeah. so that was, that was like absolutely fucking amazing. But then I, I gave up with that. And now my main uh, mother network is 2FM in Ireland. And, mm. They've been broadcasting it for the longest uh, and it goes in Kiss FM in Australia and a few other places around the world. And of course on Apple and Android, uh, which I think most people, I don't think people listen to the linear format anymore unless you're in a car, I think, or unless yeah. you're a painter, unless you're a painter decorator during the day and you're listening to, you know, whoever's presenting the, after, I don't think people do that so much anymore. I still do because I love it. I have the radio on in different places and different stations all over the house so I can just dip in and go fucking hell, Henry Rollins is playing this um uh mark uh mark on, on bbc6 is playing this it's exciting but i also do another radio show which 2fm asked me to start because they know that my musical width is really uh, it's something that i'm passionate about i i love music and they said look you know we want you to do another radio show where you're not playing electronic music and so i'd started up something called the saga where i'm playing lots of different stuff From classical, neoclassical, bougays, to to early electronica, uh, to punk, um, to more like in the next episode, I'm playing some stuff from Modern English um, and uh, Kate Bush from her 2005 album, which meant a lot to me. Um, You know, like that sort of stuff, mixing it into Mercury Rev. And I'm actually doing it live. So it's not like pre programmed, and I speak over it live. If I fuck up, I fuck up. It's that simple. I love uh, that though. I think yeah, I've
1: but... got a theory that people really like the fragility of artistic endeavor. They yeah. like, they like, they like when we perform live and okay, we don't fuck up very often, but occasionally we do. You get a they cheer. They seem to like it. You get a know, cheer, they, right? They prefer it. They think they're there at a special moment, you know? Um, but, um, I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. There was, when we first uh, went to Paris with the early human league, uh, we heard this national radio station called uh, Radio Nova, I think, or Nova Radio, whatever. Yeah,
2: I've been uh, there.
1: Right. Is it still going? I'm not sure, actually. Anyway, for the listeners, it was utter 100% eclecticism. Yeah, and they had no DJs, so all you get is oh. a, 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 they had a uh, back in the day anyway. They they had no DJs; they just had a time check on the hour, and it was just a seamless blend of you never knew what was coming next. At but it
2: home. but it flowed,
1: but it flowed. Uh, so you'd have you know like fucking like Edgar Varez followed by uh, some really heavy dub plate reggae, yes, you know
0: followed,
1: followed by some really cheesy euro pop, followed by the most heartrending kind of baroque music. all I mean literally I had no idea what was coming next. and I and I've always be. had a fantasy about I would that is the radio station I want to tune into. And yeah. it, there are, and uh, there must be one on the internet somewhere, but. And it was so well done. It was just beautiful. It's all about the music, you know?
2: No, I mean, when I first came to the Netherlands, there was something similar, although there was a DJ, various different DJs there, and it was called King FM. Right. And um, that was really incredible where you could, they played my music next to, uh, like, maybe I'm the Walrus by the Beatles into something completely different. And I was like, this, this is how music should be. And, and that's what John Peele was. And I think it, but, but this is how music should be. I think for listening musicians, I, I'm not sure if it's palatable for everyone because I know that sometimes you know people can go, "Oh fuck this," it's, you know. And I think for musicians, we're always looking for that sideways input of inspiration that we least expect, that then gets subliminally absorbed and then regurgitated maybe two or three, four weeks later, or four months later. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. And I think as musicians, we are constantly eating music. Yeah, yeah, And I think that's why it's important to us. And that's why, you know, I learned from my grandmother, she always had a radio, uh, <laughs> a radio on all the time. And I learned that it's fun to walk into a room where you have a radio station on and just like off-axis yeah. listening, it's really important.
1: I think I agree totally. Um, do you, Would you say, um, if you could wave a magic wand, would you now just be a a creative musician? Mm -hmm. Be one for the economic elements of DJing. Would you just go, fuck it, I don't need any more money, I'm just going to write stuff?
2: Oh, this is kind of the dilemma I'm going through right now, but maybe you feel that. Um, So, when I was in England... Uh, have you heard of a studio called Ridge Farm? Yeah. It was just up the road from me, like a 10, 15-minute drive. And they were just closing down. And I was on the point of actually taking over by renting uh, the, the, the the building there, the studio there. Um, because I just thought I wanted to be a fat, safe, <laughs> still specter. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to shoot anyone. I wanted to let my hair grow, and I wanted to have like a a metal bar all the way from the end of one part of the mixing desk to the other so I can just pull myself along, grab a sandwich, and then get back into the mix. Yeah. And I was so seriously thinking about Ridge Farm and doing this, like really deeply. And then I realized that it wasn't the right time. You know, they're giving up for a reason at that moment, you know. Mm-hmm. A studio that recorded Queen Pearl Jam, Oasis, whatever, if they're giving up, there's also a financial reason. So I, I thought about it, and actually, the rent of it wasn't so bad, but it was still a commitment. And I'd have to move my own equipment in there because I basically sold almost everything. I think even the soft fit mounted speakers. Um, so I'd have to bring my own equipment in, which suits me because I can't, I'm not one of these people that can be parachuted into a studio. I need my own environment, my own OCD safety net of of the studio. So I was thinking about it that time, and then I didn't. And I was glad that I didn't because the music industry completely changed, like, really quick, you know. Napster turned into other things, and then Apple iTunes, and then people not wanting tangible physical objects anymore, not reading the sleeve notes anymore. It changed, And, 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 and rightly so, because things shouldn't stay the same all the time. I'm not one of these people like... It's not the same as it was in the good old days and we need to keep it. We just have to adapt. But I was right not to. And then um, I've been making different types of music. It took me a long time to build up the studio after after the divorce um, because I'm a perfectionist as well. And I stayed away from music because I wanted to see what was happening. I started going back into, I used to use Cubase at the last studio. And before that, I used to use E-Magic. And before that was uh, BBC B, Umi. Uh, and then yeah, so hold on, st- st- st-
1: stop, stop stop right there <laughs> uh vince clark still uses bbcb you mean
2: he was one of the reasons why i used it because i went into a studio with this fuck knows what i was doing it was almost like teletext um but i, I was you know on a good old bbcb 32k That's 800k right. double density double floppy uh, trying my best to get everything to work, and it didn't, and then I got to the Atari. But Going far, far, fast forward again, back into the original story, um, because I think we're both quite tendential uh, animals, is that I just realized that I'd have to get back into studio sometimes, and I, I looked at Ableton, really enjoyed jamming with it, but I didn't feel it was my writing tool, because I'd come from that... <laughs> linear. You
0: know,
2: yeah. yeah, linear, C-Lab creator, yeah. Uh, notator and, and and then Cubase VST two, you know and i use that for, for for my um my my second album and so i tried albums and i was like well for me this is more a performance tool more of a DJ tool and some people make great music with it I'm not saying it's shit some people make amazing music with it and I've seen it firsthand and you go well like, whoa holy crap this is amazing um but I I went back in I went back into logic so it was like a full circle of like because I, I don't really consider the BBC UMI my my safe zone of where I felt that I could explore. It really started with the Atari 1040ST yeah. with, with C-Lab and then Cubase. Um, and then I go full circle back into Logic and it was Logic 9 with all the bullshit that came with it. 32-bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. go for lunch, 32-bit crashes. You have to then scan 1,000 plugins again. <laughs> it wasn't the most fun of times, but I, I stayed with it. And when Logic X came out, then I was really happy. Yeah. And then fast forward... Your original question is like, would I ever like to just be in the studio? I would like to be in the studio a lot more than what I am. And during, why don't you do it then? It's kind of, I'm at a dilemma point right now. Uh, and I, I'll explain more. So during Corona, it happened at a perfect time for me. Uh, I, I, I don't do this to rub people's faces in it that had a deserved, uh, an undeservedly hard time. But it came at the perfect time for me. I was talking to two very uh, cool older ladies here that are artists and fashion designers, uh, like in their late 70s, early 80s. And I was like, ah, I kind of feel like I need a sabbatical. And they said to me, don't have a sabbatical as an artist is like sand running through your hands. You lose the time, you don't do anything, and then you've lost that time. And I thought, wow, these, these women are experienced in life, experienced in being artists, I should listen. So I took note and then Corona happened. And then all of a sudden I actually had the sabbatical, which I really did need. And I caught up, I'm going to go a bit John Foxy here. I caught up with all the sleep that I'd missed over 30 years of talking. <laughs> and for the first three months, my sleep pattern was really, really strange. And then all of a sudden everything started to click into place, even toiletry, timings were actually of a normal human being because when you reverse your clock all the time, and you're traveling all the time. Mm. You're, that's you're really, bad too. really bad it, Really, It's really bad. Like I'm feeling it now. Um, and some people managed to break through. I didn't do drugs. I'm not one of these people that ever did drugs. And obviously that's good for me. Um, but some people can do everything. They can do drugs They do this and they still break through and they can make it 55, 60, but for me, I've been finding it quite tough and. Um, So yes, uh, fast forward, uh, rewind a little bit to Corona, and I was then working with a classical musician in the studio. Finally, learning about mic placement, rhythm mics, <laughs> and and all the beautiful things that a microphone preamp can do, and discovering different preamps from like a Crane Song to a Millennium to other preamps and all the beautiful things they can do with the tonality of a microphone. In the same way that a camera body does to a lens, you know, and I really learned off that, and I really fucking enjoyed it. Yeah. I really got deep into it, and finally, the computer that I, I got just before uh, Corona kicked off was was a new Mac Pro. Yeah. So I moved from the old Mac Pro to the new. I call it Parmigiano actually because it's the grand cheese grater of all time. <laughs> and Parmigiano is like insanely brilliant. And finally, I am pushing it. To its limitations, because I feel always comfortable when I get to the limitations of a machine. I feel like I'm using it. Yeah. Whereas before, with the old Mac Pro, I couldn't break through it. I just wasn't enough space to do what I really believed in. And then with the beginning of my first album, which is called uh, Rhapsody in Red, which was like a sort of piss as I was sort of known as the Red series, but also I was a fan of Gershwin, So, and I used to work in a classical music shop. So I thought I'd just meld the two together. And the things that i was trying to do then with like a, a basic but cool jv 2080 or 1080 whatever it was and trying my best to do things and make it sound as real as possible i can now finally do and on top of that i'm working with a violin player who's incredibly talented we worked together uh performing live at charles de Gaulle airport for oh
1: france. yeah i read about this yeah it sounded yeah. really cool
2: france, uh, for france too and then we did Le Grand de which was a bit of a cheesy moment for me, but it's okay Well, we did Carmen Barana. I always say Carmen Barata because yeah. it's so cheesy. <laughs> um, and, and we did Carmen Barana with the Paris Op- um, Opera Orchestra. Uh, and then she, because we worked together so well, she was coming to the end of her studies. She was introduced by a mutual friend. She was coming to the end of her studies. So she studied musicology at the Sorbonne. Uh, she studied in New York. And she also studied in uh, the Royal College of Music in in the UK. Uh, And I said, okay, we're going to do Gustav Holst. And then two weeks later after we decided to do that, Gustav Holst then gets taught to her where he taught, actually, uh, at the Royal College of Music. So all these things syncopated. But then she committed to living over here uh, for for like a year when her studies finished. And then Corona happened at the right time for that. And so we worked in the studio and working on sort of – a classical album where i've actually also tried to be multifaceted multidisciplinary by incorporating my photography as well yeah i've heard about
1: that so tell me about i did a lot of photography during lockdown i I spent all my time wandering aimlessly around central london like some kind of you know 70s sci-fi film um and actually i think the my, my the publisher is putting out my autobiography he might be interested in doing a coffee table book of the photos I took I got one amazing photo of the whole of Trafalgar Square in the rain at two in the afternoon with no cars no people unbelievable I mean you, you know if if a, if a film location they, they would have gone we'd have to do this in CGI it could never have happened under any other circumstances yeah no pigeons even you know that's amazing <laughs> well no one was there to feed them that's why <laughs> that's right exactly but um tell me about your photography I'm interested in that so what what um turned you onto that or is, is it a recent thing is it
2: so what I learned so I had a what one might this euphemistically call a interesting childhood um where my parents were at war with each other and uh I was sort of not turned against but my father was never put to me in 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 the light that he deserved um and all the things that i've picked up all the good things in my life that provided sustenance for my imagination and um rewards through being artistic and food on my table have come directly from my father and it took and it took me really 10 years after his passing To actually really put it all together, it doesn't mean that he was like the most amazing human being, because none of us are. But he certainly wasn't the person that was painted to me either. So with my father, he had reel-to-reels, which I still remember the smell of the cutting block felt on the other side and the chalk. Uh, He had uh, The only thing that I I took from him, apart from a few photos uh, after he passed, was a spring reverb unit.
0: He had like a he had like
2: a JVC spring reverb Nivico unit uh, with like a sort of green weird display that really should have been in Star Trek. It looks like a Klingon detector, um, and he had that, and he and he absolutely insisted on listening to David Jacobs on Radio Two or wherever he was through the spring reverb. I don't know why. He, I have no idea why he thought that the actual acoustics of the BBC were not brilliant for him. But nope, we have to listen. Through. And then, you know, he'd be one of these people that would then simulcast, like, um, something that might happen audio-wise, because obviously the TVs in those days were mono, but they would sometimes simulcast the stereo on the radio, and then he would feed the stereo from the radio to the videotape of the audio input of the image. Okay. So all of this stuff I get from him, and I'm really tearful I'm fucking proud of it because, you know, I learned a lot from him and it's quite special. And, you know, I subsequently found out he was on BBC Radio Sussex talking about quadraphonics or quadraphenia, which also happened in Brighton, but quadraphonics. And, you know, he had a record deck. He had these insane, because I went on a headphone thing recently, he had these insane big JVC headphones. He was a fan of JVC insane JVC headphones that had a microphone that you could record, you know, like almost like the, uh, the, the Neumann thing yeah, yeah. with your head. Or you could listen through and, and, and then decide not to because your parents are arguing and switch it back off again. Um, he, he was mad on that, but he was also mad on photography. And, right. it, and it annoyed me at the time because I felt that any time we had together was sort of spoiled by him constantly taking photos. But the poor man couldn't really fulfill what he wanted to be, which is an artist. Um, you know, he, he did paintings. Uh, he had an artistic soul. I think he even wanted to be an architect, and architects are really fucking amazing artists. Um, he wanted to be an artist, I'm sure of it. And of What did I he do along. for a living? So I pop along, and of course, you know, in those days, basically the man was the person that went to work and nice. support the whole family. And he was an accountant. Right. And he constantly have to go on the train to London all the time. He'd wake up at 5.30, walk to the station, come back about 7 o'clock. You know, it's a tough life uh, to put food on the table. And I can imagine, you know, it's not going down a coal mine, of course, and it's not doing hard manual work, but still it's a drain. And mm. it's a big responsibility, and it probably washed his... Potential for maybe being the artistic soul that he was, and the, the one music that we shared was ELO. Actually, I've got a, a big uh, regard for Jeff Lynne and, and how he produces music, and he also liked James Last, which I will never ever like. <laughs> um, but,
1: but, he also, but
2: he also liked Tamita. So yeah, would have, me too. So I would have these Gustav Holst again, Tamita the Planet Suites on JVC Red Seal Records, and I would listen to it and be blown away. And then, of course, there was other stupid things like Miko, which was like the disco version of Star Wars. But again, with like synthesizers. Uh, And so I listened to that. But the camera stuff really came from him. So he was like really brand loyal. So, you know, when it came to like the hi-fi, JVC or fuck it. Videotape, JVC or fuck it. TV, JVC or fuck it. Speakers, Tannoy or fuck it. You know, and he had the big Tannoy speakers. And that's up until... Ten years ago, I was a Tannoy guy in the studio because of this. Uh, and then with, with the camera, Minolta. Minolta, oh, fuck it. So he was like really brand law. And then he gave me one of his old cameras with a Rockor 50mm radioactive lens and a Fivitas Series 1 zoom with macro, I think, 70-210, to 210, I think, which is really fucking cool as a kid to have this. But... In those days, you have to develop film or develop it yourself. And it costs money. So I'd have this amazing equipment. Not quite known. In those days, there'd be like a a little, sort of like a a little dial here that you had to then get it in the center of the square. So you got the light right. And then you'd have like the central focusing thing where you'd have to get the light right. And then you didn't have a choice of ISO because it's the film that you could barely afford to put in the back of it. And then if the weather conditions changed, you might be able to do exposure compensation, but not really that much else. So, and basically I just couldn't afford to no. uh, to develop film or to see what I was doing with it. But now and, you can. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at that, time, I, at that time I just couldn't. And then I had to make a decision because I was supporting my own uh, uh, family at the time. Um, and I had to make a decision. Is it going to be music? Was it going to be cameras? So I had to sell the camera. Uh, and then the iPhone comes up and all of a sudden i start my interest comes up. And I'm lucky enough to, have, even though my face is better for radio, I'm lucky enough to have actually been photographed by some incredible uh, photographers, including Rankin. And, you know, none of these guys are very good at jokes, you know, so I never smile on a photograph, but I'm really intrigued as to what the equipment they're using, why they're using it, what it does, constantly talking about it. And then say, for example, with the Sparks. One of my favorite albums uh, has a photographer on there which i only recently discovered like jared mankiewicz uh who's
1: hey, hold, hold on a sec i've got something to show you one sec my autobiography that's a jared mankiewicz photo it's beautiful yeah it's good eh? so he's yes. very, keen, very keen on that he, he was very good at uh reproducing certain periods of, well, I mean, that's like Herel kind of reproduction. Was that
2: 1981, that photo was taken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell. Yeah? It's kind of, yeah, you can tell because it's sort of, um, there's a sort of craftwork homage, but there's also uh, an ultra Vienna, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's lots of this, and there's also a little bit of the, uh, the impending new wave that's yeah. just about to come. There's also a little bit of the David Bowie, the that's baggy right. suits. So it seems and very, chic as well. And chic, yeah.
1: And chic yeah, exactly. yeah. Shit from rock to music.
2: Yeah, exactly. So the chic was much more like 1920s yeah. Chicago gangster. Yeah, you yeah. Like, yeah. Dual-coloured shoes. Yeah. Um, and so you can see that's a 1981 shot.
1: <laughs> well and, done, well done.
2: Yeah, and you can see with the lighting that, you know, And Gerard is like incredible for me, like the sparks having them, one of them upside down on an escalator. Uh, (laughs) And and in those days you look at covers and you find out all these things. So like the photography, I would always talk to every photographer that took my photo. What are you using? Why are you using it? What's happening? And then with the iPhone, I got back into photography. And then all of a sudden I went, I want to like her. Right. And you did. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I did the classic bullshit thing. All but one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that particular camera was not the camera for me, but I just went for the looks and what it was. I'm like I'm going to do this just in the same well, way last was it, la-
1: was it a large format camera? No, no, no. It was 35mm. Oh. Uh, no. oh, uh,
2: 35mm. I, I always get confused when they say full frame and then it's medium format and then large format. It's like always confusing, but it was a 35mm um, uh, digital. I'm, I'm totally digital. Um, right. And I got that camera, and fuck, it was complicated. And the CCD itself was not particularly good. And a few photographer friends said, oh, it looks like you've just taken a still from a video. I was like, huh? And then I realized it's electronic shutter, and it was not quite the same. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the camera itself was a special edition, and the rubber was coming away all the time. So I lost uh, that. But then I swapped it for uh, a Leica Q2. And the Leica Q2 was... beginning of really pushing me into photography because it's fully automatic or fully manual or half automatic half manual yeah or you can choose whatever aperture priority shutter priority you can choose to log i i I always actually let the uh, camera choose iso actually maybe that's lazy maybe that's the dj version of sync button but i like to do that but when it comes down to manual depends how
1: much depth of field you want i
2: suppose yeah yeah. and this is a fast lens it's 1.7 so I can really get some depth of field. And then I with the Q2, I then got my confidence back and belief. And then I went fully into the whole thing and then go for really fast lenses like 0.95s, 1.2s, yeah. 1.25s, and really enjoy depth of field and really enjoy the shallow focus point and trying to nail it on the eye. And then that you know, and I really enjoy that. And the, I did a photography, a photographic project for this, hopefully this next album, if if, if and when it comes um, out, soon. So. Have
1: you got a? Uh, have you had uh, exhibitions?
2: Not yet. Um, corona again changed everything. Right. So uh, I had the offer for two exhibitions: one in France, one in Amsterdam. And actually, if I look back at it, as as an artist, we always say this for our own egos. I probably wasn't ready anyway. Right. And you know, and I actually, I, honestly, I th- think not, and I think. I, I definitely have an exhibition now, without a doubt, and I've had confirmation that in Amsterdam they're after doing it. Um, right. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that, and then maybe in France as well. Um, have an well, exhibition now.
1: Well, creativity in all its forms is the uh, is the guiding force in my life. You know, personally, I it's can't really I can't imagine a day it goes past when i don't do something creative you know and if you
2: do it feels shit yeah exactly it feels like you've just wasted whatever it is is in your head and even sometimes like sometimes i mean obviously you can go to a keyboard you can play stuff i can't do that right but sometimes i go into a studio and i feel i don't feel creative so what do i do i i sit in there do some engineering. There's always engineering to be done. There's always more, <laughs> there's always a more opt- Of course, it's procrastination as well. But there's always a more optimum position. There's always a more optimum way of wiring something up. There's always a better way of doing something. There's and of course with my computer, I'm constantly doing systems admin. I have like one thousand eight hundred plugins and constantly have to keep on, con- on top, constantly have to keep on top of that. And I'm now on the latest operating system for the first time. Ever in the last eight years, because I always leave the latest operating system yeah, on my yeah, you know, yeah. my fridges, and I'm yeah. reading Ventura because I'm already seeing warning signs coming up. Uh, exactly. so, so, so I'm constantly doing all of that all the time. If I and I feel that that's actually a good day for me is just noodling as well because, <laughs> and then then I find new people doing sort of tutorials or interesting uh, reviews, and then I get like a little bit of like sideways inspiration from that.
0: And yeah. then I, I used
2: to watch, I don't really watch Dave Pensado so much anymore, but I used to watch a lot of Dave Pensado. Uh and that was always interesting. Like I constantly want to be in there. And then I also listen to like the saga radio show that I've done in the studio. So that I get inspired by the music that I'm inspired by again.
1: So, right, you know I can relate to that too. So because you've obviously got an enormous amount of plugins, I mean I've got nothing <laughs> like that amount. Um I mean the you know the problem of option paralysis comes in um,
2: no no, uh, because I teach at school. I teach at the Harlem Conservatorium, right. and I actually teach them to limit themselves, right So I right. said, what I want you to do now is just have ten plugins. that would be three cents, some eq, some compression, special effects. That's it. You use that right because when you start on this, if you get taken to Hamley's and you see all the toys. <laughs> it's, it's paralysis isn't it when you're a kid it's like i want everything can i have the train set can i have santa claus can i have everything yeah yeah, yeah and you went in there with one thing in mind that maybe you wanted like i don't know like a lego something or other and all of a sudden like, i want the remote control car I want yeah it. exactly when you're exactly. starting them, and, and the what i do is is uh, and it, this was in cubase and then finally it came to osx was arrange all my plugins um so i have like dc's Uh, Psycho uh, EQ, Uh, DC's um, compression. I don't really use very much um, software compression apart from maybe the Eventide Omnipressor or maybe some Vertigo stuff because it's quite interesting uh, because most of it goes out of the box. Uh, And all the different effects I have. I love effects because I'm one of these people that will use a sound and then change it through a whole change of effects. And then it becomes... Uh, So I actually do not get the paralysis at
1: all. Okay, that's interesting. Um, We're coming to the end of this, unfortunately. I mean, it's been fantastic. It's gone like lightning. Um, I admire your eclecticism. um, And I think more DJs should, should approach their world from that kind of creativity aspect, rather than just having it as a kind of sidebar. Um, I don't think you're really I mean you're a great DJ but I feel that you're more of an, an artist uh, and you should listen I feel like you're mentor. good god you need to you need to focus on the creativity
2: Martin, part you you are my mentor because I have so many of your records and you, well. you have inspired me over many many years, I know I was a little bit nervous about coming here because actually I, I've listened to some of your interviews and I thought, oh, he's this very chatty gentleman, and I thought, wow, he's very monosyllabic in in his emails. Is this going to be okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was like Morse code on my so I was like, wow, um, uh, the the has is being really really well maintained here. Um, <laughs> but, but I want to say, you know, like in in many ways, you are my mentor. Uh, in, in the same way that you know, like Martin Russian is is yeah. is, a, is a mentor. Um, yeah, a lot of these important albums that came to me, maybe even by stupidity, just sort of from a fucking cool cover as a kid, and you just oh I want that because it looks fucking cool, and then you listen to it again and again and again and again. Yeah. It, it's part of part of your essence. So in a way, you are a mentor.
1: Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. I d- I wasn't angling for compliments. I, I was just saying. You know, I do teaching as well. So I feel like uh, I think I think you need encouragement to to be the artist that you can be, you know, just do it. You know,
2: psychologists have psychologists they talk to, Martin.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. I need some fucking psychologists, let me tell you. Right. <laughs> we're going to do the fun bit now. OK. Which is the uh, the kind of smash hits type questions um, <laughs> that I ask everyone. and actually. This started out as a bit of a light-hearted thing to end the podcast, but it's turned out to be the most a the most popular and b the most revealing of uh, of um, and an insight. And a lot of people really like it because they get recommendations and they can go down their rabbit holes of recommendations. And you you seem to be the sort of person who is eminently suitable for providing recommendations. So, your favourite film or one of them,
2: Blade Runner, original.
1: Yes. Oh, not not the alternative ending? No, I love
2: the alternative, but you just said one film. Otherwise, yeah, no, it's one. good. If no. you said four, I'd say Grease as well, and that will confuse the shit out of everyone. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to drop the grease. I'm going to go straight for Blade Runner. <laughs> Are your favourite book? Well, that's a tricky one because I'm not very well read. Um, that doesn't matter. I, f- I find reading only possible if I'm away on holiday for maybe three weeks which hasn't happened for a long time and the first week is downtime ah oh, man that's such a difficult one because like I would say things like maybe the great British recording studios to keep it here or maybe how music works by David Byrne to keep it within that's this good. context yeah, and that, these are the books that I also recommend my students to read right um but you know it be I've, anything
1: it doesn't
0: have to be too but I've also enjoyed
2: some Shakespeare in the past as well, and John Locke. So it's right. really, it, and also uh, there's there's a guy I think called Kessler, which just talked about supernovas. Uh, oh, my favorite book uh, is it, here somewhere. It is it's a punk book. Uh, it's by Legs, M- someone or other. Uh, <laughs> Good name. I, think called, I think it's called Please, Please Kill Me, and it's all about the history of punk from mc5 patty smith uh to all of that stuff i found that a brilliant brilliant read great thank you um favorite tv show
1: could be a box set could be a series
2: could be old new at the at the moment uh, because this is a zeitgeist thing at the moment it's easy to say i would say it's hard either the new version of the Ipcrest file, which I really, really like, because it sort of does Michael Caine some some good uh, and respectful, or, and this is controversial perhaps, but also Westworld, because I remember seeing the original series when I was a child and actually being quite nervous by it. And there's peaks and troughs in this. Yeah. And the way it sometimes loses itself and comes back. But I really, really enjoy, I really, really enjoy that. And then, Now, when I was a kid, it'd
1: be like things like The Professionals. Oh yeah, come on, The Professionals. And by the way, have you seen the new series that's on Amazon Prime called The Boys? No. Oh, just do yourself a favour. Go, uh, go and watch it. is It's about. uh, It's like that. It's a kind of Watchmen type thing where it's about flawed superheroes, but it turns out it turns out that it's it's a corporation that's been breeding them. For profit, yeah. it's really good. It's it's the best TV series I've seen in a while. Anyway, um, which other musical artist or composer is your favourite?
2: It's like asking someone that's into whiskey, what's their favourite? It really depends. On the, it really depends on the season, uh, what you're going through emotionally in life. Um, so I, I'm I'm not going to be naming just one because I think that's disingenuous. So I'm going to say PJ Harvey. I'm going to say Kate Bush. I'm going to say Grace Jones. I'm going to say Nick Cave. Um, I'm going to say... I can go on. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. What about your favourite classical composer?
2: Tricky, but I would actually go straight to Gustav Holst because for me, Gustav was my first introduction to techno. Um, The fact fact that he could step out of the world, which was like Vivaldi of looking at the four seasons of what's going on Mm -hmm. on this planet. He was going full Pythagoras, going Mm -hmm. outside, Mm -hmm. talking about the planets and bringing in Roman Greek mythology at the same time in such a way and giving a character to a land, uh, a far-off-away planet. And that really, really inspired me. And, of course, that was inspired... Sideways by Tamita, but also by a religious teacher at school uh, who had a load of boys in a room in a darkened room, which is never normally the best combination for a religious <laughs> teacher. Um,
0: yeah.
2: uh, and he played Gustav Holst and he also put a black and white reel of film on that marred, uh, married everything together. Nice. So I said that. But then I also, you know, like Yanicek. Um,
1: oh, uh, I love Yanufa. Oh, I saw that at the Royal Opera House, and it changed. It was like one of the big, kind of transcendental moments in performance that I've ever seen. Actually, I thought it was beautiful. Tchaikovsky. Yes, Tchaikovsky. All the early 20th century Russian composers. Debussy. Yeah, and Debussy. Yeah, yeah. We're all on the same page, I think. It's very similar to William Orbit, actually. I mean, I had the same conversation with him.
2: Really yeah, fun. I mean, because, I mean, I know some of his earlier stuff, William Orbit, and I don't, don't I have to tell you, just disappeared again. Wait a second. Sorry. Um, don't tell him, um, but I'll still never forgive him for uh, what he did to um, Samuel <laughs> Barber. Um, <laughs> because I find you know, I found that when I first heard Samuel Barber, I was actually working in the classical music shop in it broke me down in tears <laughs> and then I, then I found out that it was like the theme tune for when presidents die in america and then i heard what william Orbit did and i love what william Orbit's done in other things
0: yeah
2: uh, like energize and prepare to energize all that sort of stuff i love that but what he yeah
1: yeah i, I li- listen i kind of agree with you but uh, i tell you one thing he did do classically is my favorite ever song uh, in the world is by uh, Purcell. Oh, Henry! Uh, Dido's uh, uh, L- Lament. I just think it's the best thing ever. And he does that at Can you? Dido's Lament. You know, um, oh. it's um, it's it. His real title is When I Am Laid in Earth So it's like, oh, it's just the most
2: heartbreakingly beautiful piece of music. Are uh, you a fan Lyric. Of, Are you a fan uh, of Vaughan Williams? I am, of course.
1: So yeah. mate, he,
2: he did like a protest on about a fucking motorway outside. Door did to- he? Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Vaughan Williams. I think he's much underrated. Um, yeah. Not, yeah. Not necessarily in the UK, but internationally. Um, okay. Next question. Um, an epiphanal moment in your life. A moment of realisation.
2: I've had so many.
1: Or big kind of handbrake turn?
2: I've had so many. um, Really a lot. Um, Some are personal, and I I won't discuss here. Um, Others are things like getting corona at the beginning of this and having double pneumonia. Shit. Um, Being in a car accident, coming back from a festival. Shit. Um, Yeah, I've I've had quite a few Uh, Moments.
1: Was there anything positive came out of those?
2: Yes, but quickly forgotten due to human nature. So, you Mm. know, you have a car accident and it really affects me. It's, uh, uh, you know, I've I've started to lose my vocabulary a little bit. I I got it back. Uh, But I had, like, PTSD. Uh, I went to see George Clinton Funkadelic uh, perform live and the bass was making me cry uh I couldn't take it and I love bass and I, I had to get out and I just burst into tears. It was just too much um for my for my body. Uh and then it was like, yes, I need to take things easier. So you take things easier and then all of a sudden it creeps up, it creeps up, creeps up, and you fill schedule again. And the same happened with uh when I was sick with with the double pneumonia. Gonna take things easier because it's also your body saying, hey what, the, what are you doing? I mean, I, I had a problem with my eye where they had to open it up and then cut it open because uh, I was just tired all the time. Shit. Um, being on the road for 30 years is tough. Uh, and some people seem to be made for it. And I think I had my time when I was made for it, but I don't think I am now in the same way. Right. And, and, and that was tough. And the worst thing about having something cut open in your eye is you can't fucking close your eye to look away. Wow. <laughs> It's it's, it's coming at you. Oh, my God.
1: Look, I don't even want to talk about it. It's like when Glenn was, Glenn had a, you know, whatever surgery and he was awake and all that stuff to give you disassociative drugs, you know, ketamine or whatever. And I just went, nope, not going to do that. I'd rather be blind. Thank you. Anyway. um, Okay. Visual artist. Favorite visual artist or conceptual artist. Do you like visual art?
2: Um, I cried. Can I have a photographer if you want? I cried when I saw the Caraveggio in Malta. Right, uh, It was a, a very dark room. Uh, and yet the, I see things in the dark. That's why my photography is quite dark. It's it's my world in a way. And mm. I saw in this dark uh, chapel church, Caraveggio, with the light, and I just really felt the passion from the painter. Um. I'm going to be fucking cliche as hell here, but also constable because it it does something for my English sensibility, right? Uh, like the countryside that I know, but also because my grandmother had a fake of that picture. And in those days we didn't have the internet, you just stare at shit and it just becomes part of you. Photographer, that's an interesting one because it really depends on my mood, but I will say Francesca Woodman, I will say... I, I came across her work for the first time ever by chance when I was in New York at the Guggenheim. Right. And I walked in there, tears, felt whatever that person was trying to get, it came to me, couldn't speak. Wow. I was like, and I, I felt her energy, her transcendentalism, her etherealism that, that she was in between different realms hmm. of, of consciousness. You felt it.
1: Yeah, Bill wow.
2: Wow. Bill Brandt.
1: That's a good answer. A, Oh, Bill Brandt, Thank
2: Yeah. You. Yeah. Bill Brandt. Um, Dado, uh, I like Dado, uh, uh, uh I'll
1: tell you what not, gets me
2: is my, the- my favorite, my favorite, uh, artistic one, uh, was for a while, Annie Leibovitz, uh, like her photos of like Roxy music were incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I think well, there's one of Brian Ferry in the taxi, which I just think is like really, really cool. If my memory serves me correct. But the other person who I've been lucky enough to meet very briefly and take his photo, and he was supposed to take my photo, but we couldn't arrange it like 20 years ago, was Anton Corbine. Um from- Anton
1: took uh, the when he was nobody knew him. He took some of the early fo- earliest photos of m Seventeen. Okay. Yeah. So well, we he was a lot of that.
2: Yeah, and he really worked it. Um, I, I can name you so many photographers, and I feel like by not naming them, I'm not doing the right thing. Almost because I mean, obviously, Gerard Mankiewicz is another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because just his Kate Bush pictures, his Jimi Hendrix pictures, his yeah, Rolling yeah. Stone pictures, John Fox, The Jam. You know, his, his pictures are like really fucking cool, and yeah my oh, yeah, yeah. through Smash Hits. Um yeah.
1: <laughs> I've still got a book of, uh, of. Uh, classic photos from that period of smash it. I think it was eight, 84 and it's all full of Jared Mankovitz and Annie Leibovitz and all that
2: stuff. Anyway. And, so. and also David, David Bailey. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And I had a chat with uh, John michel Jarre about this. I said, you know, did being with Charlotte Rampling change you from having your photo taken from David Bailey to Helmut Newton? And it was like, right. yes,
1: completely. No, and Helmut, no.
2: Helmut Newton, incredible
1: photographer. Yeah, incredible. And Robert Mapple thought, so, okay, we can go. Yes, on. yeah, yeah. Um, we can go on forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, which of your own work is your favourite?
2: <laughs> oh, the album that you haven't heard yet. And I'm not saying that because of that. I actually feel. I actually. The last album that I did, um, the Desecration of Desire. Yeah, I've listened. That for it. me, that for me was like the first album album that I'd made, which. It's disparaging for some of my fans because obviously they like previous albums, but the first album that I made, like many of us DJs coming through making dance music, it was a collection of dance music singles with filler tracks, in my mind, right? So things like Tale of Two Cities, which was like about Chicago and Detroit, sort of pointing towards Dickens um, to try and prove that I'm some form of intellectual, which I'm not. (laughs) Um, Like we all do when we name things sometimes. Um, It wasn't really... That. And the second album, I'm proud of, which is Devil's Advocate. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the Tom Hingston design. Uh, I'm proud of that. But at the same time, it was done through such a tumultuous time, uh, emotionally, that it, it has its scars. Yeah. And so this last album uh, that I did, which is available uh, a few years ago, Desecration Design, I felt like finally my first album, 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 album. And I don't listen to it. Uh, it's the first time that I wrote lyrics properly. and not using, like, lyrics from Francois Rabelais, which I used in the past, uh, but I actually wrote the lyrics. And the first time I sent the lyrics to someone to see if they if they like it, and then, you know, Mark Lanigan says, hey, man, this is, like, great. And, uh, <laughs> and then he comes over. Uh, but honestly, I feel, because of the, the mentorship, which I really appreciate, and I really take it probably more on board than you actually probably even appreciate. Of what you said to me like 20 minutes ago uh, 10 minutes ago is this album feels like truly an artistic endeavor good do it where people probably won't understand it and think i'm trying to be really super clever and all i'm trying to do is be an artist and you're right i have to step much further it's
1: got to get on with that and also another thing that i learned was and it took me decades to come to this conclusion is don't worry about (laughs) People thinking that you're pretentious. Not you. I mean, one. I, I had that for for fucking decades. I'm going, and now comes the conclusion: we need more pretension in the world. We need more. We need more people
2: to to take that risk. You know. Well, you look at the early Kate Bush, and it's like her mouth moves in the same way as Nigel Kennedy uh, when she talks, and you see there's a pretension there. But that pretension comes from true belief of what they're representing. Yes. Uh yes. you feel it, it's it's real. Yes. So you know, I I I tend to agree, but there also has to be more commitment.
1: Yes, well. yes, yeah. And risk take it's all about risk taking. Um, if you were not a musician, what do you think might have been your alternative career path?
2: I think it's the classical uh thing of I would be in trouble.
1: No, um, <laughs> Oh, you because, were a wild wild child, weren't you? When you, you left home, didn't you? You ran away from home? I
2: had no choice, really. Um, but uh, wild, I think more defensive than wild. Oh, okay. Um, um, I had no real real choice of the way things were going. I was definitely uh, uncontrollable because of everything that was going around me at the time. I, I tried many things. I worked in shoe shops. I even worked for a majesty's government, um, which I didn't like at all. And I quit quite quickly, uh, almost felt like the opening. Another series, by the way, The Prisoner.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. I've got got a series of uh, three-dimensional soundscapes uh, that I created for Port Merion, which are in there now. And it's all based on the voice of uh, Clough Williams Ellis. uh, But I've stayed in the house where he stayed when he was filming Patrick McGowan and all that stuff. It's incredible.
2: I mean, Patrick Brilliant. was fucking amazing, even even the ice station zebra, um, you know. And that was a favourite book when I was a kid. But um, you know, I I felt in my own little tiny way, of my finishing off working for the government was almost the same as Patrick McGuigan banging the table. <laughs> I'm not a number. I'm a free man. And <laughs> fucking off out of here. And that's we haven't incredible.
1: really tu- we haven't really touched on it, uh, and I meant to, and I forgot because I was enjoying this so much, but. Um, I'm a socialist. I make no bones out of it, and I think that uh, I suspect that you are too. Um, uh, do, you, do, you ha- do you have any kind of um, activist kind of thoughts around your beliefs?
2: Fairness, justice. Yeah. I think all the things that are at the top of an autistic person's um, sort of way they view the world like i don't think many autistic people or autistically spectrumed people can actually look at injustice and actually feel happy about that or, or not comment on it so um i was when i was younger far more liberal than socialist because i was from the south Right. And I didn't I didn't have the coal mines on my doorstep. We had the three-day weeks where the coal wasn't coming. Yeah. Um, but right. we, we didn't have the coal mines on the doorstep, so it wasn't really that sort of stuff. But I was black and white United fight when I was growing up. Uh, I grew up in Brighton, which was a fantastic melting pot for liberal views mm. and an open of in the world. So when I was going clubbing as a kid, I would go to a gay club. And I'll be looked after by the people in the light booth. They'd let me sit in there. They were record tapes to me. I saw things. I saw the PA of Divine, uh, all that sort of Bobby O stuff. I saw wow. all of that. Um, and um. I listened to a lot of music. And Scar was coming up. You guys, Heaven 17, were teaching us about politics, penthouse and pavement, and the whole flotation of all public-owned Uh, things like BT and stuff was basically that front cover, you know, Uh, I can't remember. It was like how they were sort of like going around, but tell, tell someone when the gas was on sale. I can't remember. Tell Ben (laughs) that the gas, whatever, you know, the bullshit that was going around, like they sort of took it from Humphrey and then made it like, tell Ben that the gas is on sale. Okay. And I was starting to realize that all was not right. And I was starting to realize from your music, from John Fox's music, although much more tangentially because his Mm. lyrics were much Mm. more, you know, based upon I think his his books that he was reading than than anything else. Um, and to a, to a luddite like myself, that was really strange. But I picked up from that hip hop, early hip hop, really picked up from social misjustice in there in a way that I never learnt at, at school. Yeah, um, the Scar, the Selector, the Specials, especially the Specials. Uh, and, and you guys, I, I learned, and then I headed. Further away from liberalism, although I would say I'm a liberal socialist, just from the fact that I'm from the south of England. I don't think it's very easy to be completely socialist when you're in the south of England. You
1: can be, you can be. I think. Anyway, I'm glad to hear it. It's it's a great uh, thing. Anyway, two more questions. Song that you wish you'd written. That you have a great empathy. Push the
2: sky away by Nick Cave.
1: Fantastic. Good choice, um, and
2: also and also one from PJ Harvey as well. Um, many from PJ Harvey, but yeah.
1: Oh, brilliant. um And finally, what's your favourite synth?
2: I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, not virtual that guy. Sin.
1: Virtual synth.
2: I'm yeah. not that. I don't care. Yeah. I have no. I have no emotion. Yeah. To me, is this this is dreadful way to finish off. <laughs> Talking to one of, one you of your You did so well.
1: You fell at the last.
2: <laughs> I fell at the last hurdle. <laughs> I have no. Oh, you must have some things.
1: go-to things that you use. I
2: don't give a shit. I All just right. find sounds and, and, and do it that way. I would say maybe the CSATV because of Vangelis. Yeah. And, and maybe maybe Tamita as well, but it's thin as fuck. Um, then, of course, the Moog uh um maybe the oberheim stem um but honestly it's it's not the most important thing in the world for me if you'd have, if we'd have done batter's box by like in dave pensado style and you would have said to me favorite compressor favorite speaker yeah, favorite yeah, no, mic- no no no, yeah, yeah,
1: no i'm not really interested in it. all right i'll give you an alternative way out of this predicament um <laughs> what's your favorite drum machine I don't care Okay,
2: good. This is all going very well. <laughs> I really don't care. It's like I mean, obviously, you know, as a, as an artist uh, that plays as a DJ, electro the eight oh eight is very very important. The nine nine is very important. But I don't give a shit where I get my drums from because yeah. finally, like I did in the beginning when I was sampling drums because I didn't have accessibility yeah. to drum sets, uh, drum kits. Um, but now I can just mold and make anything from anything. That's true. And I really don't care. So maybe I start off with like a really floppy kick. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I will just make it my own. So yes. I don't think, oh go of the 909, gotta do this, got of the 808. Respect the 808 massively, respect the 909 massively, respect the 727 massively. My first drum machine that I had was a Yamaha RX21 that I would work at the shoe shop and pay five pounds or 10 pounds every two weeks towards. And eventually he gave it to me for 60 quid because he didn't want to see me anymore. So <laughs> But no, I really have no no interest for drum machines.
1: No, um, interesting. So um, <laughs> this has been an enlightening and extremely pleasurable experience for me. And me too. Uh, thank you so much for taking part. Uh, this will be coming out very soon. So uh, is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to tell us the title of your new album, or are you not decided yet?
2: I haven't decided yet, and I don't want to give it too much because I'm still... Semi superstitious of like, if you talk about things too much in advance, yeah, yeah. it trips over or something will happen. So, but when's it going to come out? Do you think I don't know? I haven't signed it yet. I've actually this first album that I've actually done without being signed. Um, and I have ideas uh, about what's going to happen with it. I've got some great, I really, really, really believe in it. I haven't played it for like months and I'll play it again. And I think we need one more track. Uh, and I've got another collaboration that I want to work with on that particular track right um and I, I think the album's finished it's like 40 minutes already the album's done but i feel i think more comfortable with 48 49 minutes um i don't need to go over the hour uh it doesn't really that's not the important thing but i i feel 40 minutes perhaps is too short and the photography that i've done for this album i feel very passionate about right i feel i really believe in it i want Gate the sleeve
1: Gatefold Gate. sleeve Gatefold sleeve
2: Yeah, exactly. And 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 there's I mean I'm already writing uh like the pre-sleeve notes, the preamble of the the whole story of this. And actually your your mentorship words probably couldn't have happened on a better day.
1: Oh good, good. I was sensing that, so that's why I made such a strong comment. But anyway, an absolute delight. If you ever if you ever need to uh, or feel the uh, need to call me, do that. And if you ever need to or would be interested in a collaboration, I'm also very interested.
2: So. I'd love to. Let me get this album done yeah. Um, yeah. and finish. My mindset is somewhere else, but I, I would love to. And if if you can please send me uh, your music, um, you know, because I'm sure I can include it in I in and be delighted to because, like, You know, like I even recently discovered Le 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 Monde is still doing incredible stuff. Oh, yeah, they're doing great Um, stuff,
1: yeah. Yeah, so... All right, man, listen. Absolute pleasure. We will meet one day in the flesh.
2: (laughs) Yes, I I think Ruth set it up because I think I'm actually going to be coming in and taking photos of all of you guys. Is that right? Oh, cool. Yeah, I think that's happening. Let me just... Hang on one second. Um, Let me see. So... Uh, let me go to my diary but i think ruth has actually set something up where your name was mentioned as a guest right uh, which i think is uh i think there's, some,
1: there, there's a kind of 17th of november yeah yeah that sounds right
2: yeah brilliant well, guess, i'll uh, meet you then yeah i'll bring all my camera stuff hopefully i don't need a carne <laughs> coming from. The the day,
1: cool man all right lovely lovely to meet you and
2: talk to you all right man. thank you so much Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Well, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? It's interesting finding out about this world of you know the whole DJ scene exploded in the nineties and the noughties, and there there are people who have got like kind of portfolio careers who are. Uh, but make most of their money from just touring the world and making people happy by uh doing d j mixing et etc live and uh Dave is a sweet guy, and i've got a lot of respect for his artistic intentions he's very interesting kind of stuff to do with uh, all artistic expression I and mean, he's interested in photography, of course, and all that stuff, and he's you know done remixes for. Inner City, Chemical Brothers, New Order, Depeche Mode, Moby, Field, Underworld. These guys don't farm out their stuff to uh, remixes, unless they know the stuff that's going to come back is right up their street. So, yeah, I'd like to encourage creativity of all sorts. And uh, Dave is that kind of guy. Hope everyone's okay, by the way. We're in the middle of summer now. Uh, it's been okay so far. Things are moving apace, in my life anyway. I've got the autobiography coming out on August the 25th in all formats. Keep a lookout for that. I'm also doing some kind of audience with nights at various venues around the country. Uh, I'd love you to come and see me and have a chat. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the autobiography. We're also going on tour with Hem 17 all the way across America from the middle of September till mid-October. Uh, so our American um, listeners, don't forget to get tickets uh, It'll be well worth seeing, we're not bad live, even though I say so myself We've we've really been looking forward to touring America because we've never done it before So we're going to make the most of this um, If you need to email me or want to email me, I'd be happy to receive your emails Martin with a y at gmail.com and if you want to support keeping this podcast going and independent uh, there's a patreon.com stroke electronically hours page where you can in a small way contribute financially towards uh, helping pay for the cost of doing this so there you go Uh, i'll have another great guest hopefully for you next week got somebody very very exciting coming up which i suspect will be the most listened to of anything that i've ever done which is saying something uh i can't divulge it yet but um you'll find out soon enough so see you next week bye Is from Robert Smith I don't think it's the one from the cure but um hi Martin I'm really enjoying your podcast so far even the ones with people I've never heard of before like rock Ma- <laughs> like rock 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 like Ma- <laughs> like Mark Ayres and Roger Lyons turn out to be very interesting the episode with Paul Heaton was one of the funniest things I've heard for years some ideas for guests would be Richard Barbieri done it Nick Rhodes, that'd be good. Gary Kemp, that's a good idea. And Steve Jansen, also a good idea. Regards, Robert.
0: Thanks, Robert. Um, This one is from Simon Stewart. Doctor. Dr Simon Stewart, sorry. Um, Dear Martin, I wrote about a year ago and said, really enjoying the podcast, thank you. I'm writing again to raise that to it's become indispensable listening. The past few episodes in particular have been stratospheric. The interviews with Roger Lyons, Tim Tim, Tim Pope, Tim Pope, and in particular Mark Ayers were fascinating, enlightening, and tremendous fun. I'm not sure about suggesting any guests because it's often the unexpected ones I've loved the most. However, I wonder if you've considered the incomparable Virginia Astley. I think the two of you might even have a captivating... Well, I think the two of you might have a captivating conversation. Who's,
1: who's Virginia Astley?
0: I have no idea. It uh, Just ring a bell. I'm just R- ignorant. Rick Astley's no. sister have finally signed up for the Patreon. Apologies for how long that's taken. It's really not on, Simon, but um, thanks for getting round to it just now. No, thank you, Dr. Simon Stewart.
1: Yeah. This is from Luis Carrillo. or Carrillo. Hello Martin, been a listener of the
0: podcast
1: <laughs> Been a listener of the podcast since last year and have been checking in every week for new episodes. Nothing but some of the best interviews I've heard from either musicians. I really admire are a big fan of people who have really great stories to tell. It's also been great to hear from you in these episodes, considering all I had prior knowledge of was your involvement in the early Human League lineup, Heaven 17, and your work with Tina Turner. Favourite episodes of the podcast would have to be Rasheen Murphy, Gary Newman and Peter Hook. Suggestions. Robin, with a Y, James Murphy, that's a good idea, Robin Guthrie, Guthrie and Richard X, done Richard X. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank
0: you. And this is from Sean Hanton. Hi, Martin. Fantastic work on the podcast. I'm sure it's delivering pleasure to so many people around the world. Would love to hear something from Matt Johnson of The The. Good idea. He's always interesting when he gives interviews. How about steve O'Pierce Pierce and the oh, Some Bizarre he story? Is definitely don't know who
1: that uh, is. Uh, Steve Ball, I've worked with Steve he's a very interesting character. He used to manage Mark Armand nice. and a lot of the acts that were on some bizarre label. To say he's a character is an understatement, yeah.
0: Nice. Should get him on. Uh, more suggestions. Chris and Cozy, JG Thurwell, Mark Armand, John Marsh and Brian and Josie from Vicious Pink. Just a few ideas to consider. Please keep chasing David Sylvian. Yeah, I can chase him as long as I want. He's not going to do it. Um, Uh, That's a pity. Thanks, Sean.
1: Um, uh, This is from this is from Lee Towersy. hi Martin. I've been listening to your podcast. Blah blah blah. Backstories are good. Anyone that has been listed, I've encouraged them. Anyone who's this is terrible. Anyone that hasn't listened to all your podcasts, I encourage them to go back and listen to them all. I was never a Gary Newman fan, but his podcast is probably one of the best interviews I've ever heard. Anyway, that's good. I agree, by the way. Anyway, on my reason for writing, I just thought of someone who may be of interest. How about JJ Abrams? I've tried to contact him via Moby, uh, and I've not got anywhere. If you. Uh, Lee if you you work for Lucasfilm on creature effects which sounds very exciting if you, sick. if you can contact me if you know any way I can contact him I would love 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 I would love it if we could interview him like it a lot
0: yeah Walter Rinaldi hi Martin uh, just a few words to tell you how much I love your podcast and how grateful I am that you're doing such great stuff out of the goodness of your heart. It's just brilliant, useful, educational and inspiring to say the least. Um, love your work. I'm a bozo H17 fan. I think they all are. How many, <laughs> how man. What? How man are they? Uh, and the luxury gap. No.
1: <laughs> how men how man, are, I think how, you how mean how to men are, say. Yeah.
0: And the luxury gap albums I consider the pinnacles of your work. I have one comment to make. Please don't burn me alive. I seem to remember the video clip of Let Me Go features Glenn wearing white socks. I've been told off for years for that reason, wearing white socks, not listening to Let Me Go, smiley face. So please ask him to make sure no more white socks other than for exercise or the odd game of tennis. Um, yeah, good point. Uh, he,
1: he's, he, he's quite a style guru. He'd be mortally embarrassed about that.
0: Um, I wear white socks. Um Writing, you, writing to you from Rome. Um, when you've got time, it'd be nice to know what you brought. What brought you to be an honorary Ven- Venetiano. You'll have
1: to buy my uh, fantastic autobiography.
0: That was a good plug. Um, there's quite a lot in this, Walter. Um, thanks for your lovely podcasts. All the best. Ciao, Walter. Thanks so much for your email.
1: Thanks, Walter. I'm glad you like Venice as much as I do.